0: So if you are uh, new with us today, a guest, or uh, maybe you've been away um, for the summer, maybe you just weren't here last week, allow me to take a moment uh, to reintroduce this sermon series that, that we'll be in just for a few weeks, uh, that I've titled uh, "Ignorance Abroad: A Stranger in a Strange Land." And this builds on some of my reflections from just a few of the many experiences I had in the two weeks prior to, to being in China and Korea. And, and really some of my desire to take some of the things I experienced, some of the things that I believe that God spoke into my heart, and, and to share with you. Um, because as I said last week, this was something that your support and, and encouragement has allowed me to be a part of. And so I not only as a way of expressing my gratitude, but also in the belief that... Um, you know god uses all our circumstances of life to kind of shape and, and mold us. so so ignorance abroad just speaks to again the the fact that i knew so far so much less than i thought i knew when i went on this trip of life in china and korea and just my own experiences is feeling the words of moses a stranger in a strange land and, and feeling some of that. so this is an opportunity for me to tell just a few of those experiences, and I'm certainly going to do that this morning and share one that maybe was a little outside the norm of expectations. But before we do that, let me read this morning's scripture. It comes from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. This is subtitled in my Bible, The Shunammite's Son Restored to Life. Hear these words, friends. One day Elisha went to Shunemun, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that your word would speak to our hearts. These words would speak to our hearts. The words of challenge, encouragement, when necessary, maybe even conviction, that we'd continue to strive to be the people that you've called and created us to be we pray this in christ's holy name amen so last week i shared from the experience of standing in the street in Xi'an, china wondering what was happening on the second floor of an apartment building or storefront that we had stumbled across and my experiences in that tension of, of being in that place of uncertainty between wanting to go but not knowing what was on the other side. And, and the challenge to us was to have our eyes open to, to the need around us, to those who, who come into our, our space, our worship, our, our um, community, uncertain about what to expect here or don't even really have the courage to step through those doors. And how God challenges us to learn to see fresh, to see with fresh eyes, so that we can then take the next step, which is a step of action. Because to, to see with fresh eyes is important, but, but it's only half an equation. Because the challenge is, when we see the need, how do we step into the need? How do we meet the need? And so, let me share an experience with you that happened in, in a place that, that you wouldn't necessarily to ha- expect to have a pivotal cultural experience in China, and that was the, uh, the, the Shanghai airport. When, when we flew to China, we flew, as I, as I shared, into Beijing, and we stayed in Beijing for a few days. We took a train to Xi'an, which is where the, the story from last week came from, and we stayed in Xi'an for a few days. Then we flew from Xi'an to Shanghai, and Shanghai is where we spent the last few days that we were in China. And then we prepared to leave China for Korea for the second leg of the journey. And so we got up, and they shuttled us to the airport. But when we got on the buses to go to the Shanghai airport, we had to say goodbye to the, to the young man who had been our Guide for our entire week in China, he was our uh, kind of our tour guide, if you will, that took us to the cultural places and explained some of the significance. Uh, he shared with us some of the work that God was doing in the churches in China. He was our translator uh, and our interpreter, so he was really our um, lifeline in China. And so we had to say goodbye to him, and we made our way to the airport. So the airport in Shanghai became the first time in China that we that we as a group are kind of navigating on our own. Uh, Which doesn't sound like a significant thing until you remember that we don't speak the language. Most of us didn't anyway. And don't read the signs. And so it was a more challenging, a little more daunting than, than it may sound. So we get finally the group of us, 47 of us, we get to the ticket counter where we're going to check our bags for our flight to Korea. And and what they decided to do was they had all of us give our passports to one of our uh, group leaders. And he collected 47 passports, and then he gave them to the ticket agents, and they would move one at a time through the passports to check us in. And I'm not a nervous flyer. I have no problem flying. But I'm not a fan of airports and security, and I'm always anxious. In American airports, I'm always anxious to get through security and get through you know, that, that whole routine. And so I had positioned myself at the front of the group because I wanted to get, I certainly wanted to get through this experience in China. So I was actually the first person to hand my passport to our group leader because I thought that was good strategy. Let's get this done early. I didn't think through this very deeply because he collected the passports. One, two, three, four. You know where this is going. Then we stood off to the side, and they called one at a time by name for us to go and check our bags. I was, I believe, the last person in line to check my bags. And so my anxiety is starting to climb. Now, we were not pressed. You know, we weren't about missing the plane, but... But I'm watching my, my classmates, and these, they're going. You know They're checking in, and they're heading through security, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. So finally I get there. Keep in mind, ticket agents do not speak English, and, and I do not speak Chinese. So get up to the, to the counter. Well, because God has a sense of humor, the story gets better. And um, when we flew from... America to, to China. We flew from Korea back to America. We were booked on Delta. And they, the, the Beeson Center, the program pays for the flight. They pay for the experience. So they, they paid for our ticket and they paid for us to, to check two bags. We had a two-bag allowance. So I'm a chronic overpacker. And one of the problems that I always have is weight on the bags becomes an issue. So I packed smaller bags and I took two. That way I wouldn't have to worry about the 50-pound weight limit. And I didn't. Unfortunately, somehow, when they booked the flight from China to Korea, they only booked it at a one-bag check-in. Yeah. So I get to the gate and I'm way over that. So I had to pay a ridiculous amount of money to, to get my bag, both bags, to, to Korea. Again, the problem wasn't, I mean, I was irritated about the money, but that wasn't a bi- as big a thing as navigating all of this because I had to go to another counter, and I had to you know, had to, nap, you know, present the slip, I had to pay the overage fee, I had to go back to the gate. So all of this is happening, and it's slowing the process down. And my anxiety is elevating exponentially. But again, because God has a sense of humor, as I'm back at the gate, and I'm getting ready to put my bags on the conveyor belt to check them in, Steve, from friend of mine, pastor up in, in Chicago, comes by. Now, Steve, because everybody was having issues with their bags, Steve had one bag, but it was overweight, so he started to do what you may have done at an airport. He started to pull things out of his bag and shove it into his carry-on so he could eliminate the problem. Well, as he's walking away, his bag had been checked, he realized in his carry-on he had a knife that he was not going to be able to get through, you know, carry-on. So he pulls it out, and he said, Chris put this in your checked bags because you're allowed to check this. So I went, okay. I'm a nice guy, and I stuck it in my suitcase, and away went my bags. Thirty seconds later, a minute later, I was invited (laughs) into a private room in a Chinese airport with armed security. I wish I was making this up. <laughs> There's a lot of things I wanted to experience in China. This was not one of them. And so, no, you know, I, we can laugh about this now because I'm standing here. So you know this ended okay. But my anxiety is now through the roof. And, and my nerves, because I don't know what's about to happen. And, and so I walk into this room. And, and it's, you know, the, the, bag had, the bag had come back into this room, so I walk in, and there's a security officer, and I, I, I think, I don't know if she was armed or not, but she was there, and um, my bag's on the table, and I have no idea what to expect. But when I turn around into this room, I want to show you the face of two people that had walked in the room behind me. The first person is Amos, Amos Ang. He's a Colleague, uh, a fellow student in the program. Angus is in ministry in Singapore. Amos walked in that room behind me. Next to Amos was Simon, Simon Chong, who is from Malaysia. And he walked into that room as well. Now, in addition to being um, fellow students and and colleagues in ministry, in addition um, to being on this trip, with me what thing you need to know about Amos from Singapore and Simon from Malaysia is that both of them speak mandarin chinese which is the, the dominant dialect there now in shanghai there's also a dialect called shanghaiese but it's similar enough they the, the important thing you need to know is they spoke the language now Simon and Amos had checked their bags long ago they were much earlier than me But they had chosen to hang around. They stayed at the ticket counter just in case. They were present the entire time. And when they saw I was getting called into the private room, they decided to come with me. And I cannot tell you what a blessing it was to see Amos and Simon in my hip pocket as I walked into that room because they stepped up. And when the officer explained what had set off the alarm, go figure, it was a knife. <laughs> um, they were able to translate. When they needed to check my bags, they were able to translate. We went through everything. They gave it a once through. They did not confiscate the knife, but they just wanted to make sure everything was on the up and up. And my bags went through, and I was cleared to go to the gate. They didn't have to be there, but they chose to be there because they saw the potential for a need. See, this is what's interesting. They didn't even know. When they chose to hang around, they didn't know they'd be needed like this. But they hung around just in case. They stepped into a gap. And I was more grateful than you'll ever know to have them there. In fact, by wonderful chance, our our, flights, our seats on the plane were randomly selected, and I sat next to Simon on that flight to Korea. And you don't know how often I told him how deeply I appreciated him. I almost wanted to kiss him. It had been a week since I'd seen Tony, so, you know. um, These guys really put me to shame, both Simon and Amos, as I was talking to him. I I said to him, because he's from Malaysia, I said, Simon, how many languages do you speak? And he rattled off four. I was like, golly. You know, you've probably heard the joke before, but you you know what you call somebody who speaks three languages? called trilingual. You know what you call somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. You know what you call somebody who speaks one language? An American. Um, <laughs> and that's me. But, and these guys and, and ladies speak so many. But, but, but here's, again, that point. They saw a need. They stepped into a gap. In, in 2 Kings chapter 4, it's the story of the, the Shunammite woman. And as we read that, and, and probably not a, I'm going to guess for most of you, it's probably not a familiar story. It wasn't one that I would remembered. Um, and it, we read that story and our tendency, my tendency is to kind of focus on the back end, the miracle. The fact that, that because of Elisha's gratitude and, and God's favor, she gives birth to a son and she receives this blessing. And, and let me tell you on a side note, continue reading, go back and read the rest of 2 Kings chapter 4. Her story doesn't end. Her and, and Elisha's encounter doesn't end there. There's, there's more to, to her story and Elisha's encounter and, and her son. And They actually appear also in 2 Kings chapter 8. So, so they have a role in the ongoing narrative there. But the tendency is to focus on that blessing that, that she received. But don't overlook the foundation of that blessing, the reason for the blessing. And that was her willingness to meet a need to see where there was an, uh, something a difference that she could make and, and that's the story of the, the first part of those first few verses when, when she creates a, an environment where the prophet Elisha could come and when he would travel could receive a meal and be cared for and the, the, the story says that Elisha would go back to her house well of course, she, of course he would wouldn't you? If you were a traveler and you knew there was a place where you would be received and welcomed and cared for, you'd go back too. And he did. And then she goes even further. She sees it and says to her husband, let's, let's prepare a place, a room, where he can have a bed and a lamp and, and he can be provided for when the Lord brings him our way. She recognizes him as a man of God, but she sees there's a need and she steps into that. Interesting, it created a tradition called the Sunamite Households. I, I had never heard this. Have you ever heard of Sunamite households? Okay, good. Um, and that was part of the tradition on the, the frontier as Christianity was moving across the American continent. It, it, many of you know that, that as churches were planted and Christians were moving, there weren't enough preachers, so there would be circuit riders, a big part of the Methodist story. We'd have circuit riders that would go church to church to church, sometimes circuits that would take months you know, to cover. Well, Sunamite households would be those households in which they would prepare a room that would be ready when the preacher would come to visit. They were called prophet's chambers, which sounds very regal. You would prepare a prophet's chamber so that the, the preacher, the pastor, would have a place to stay when he, because it was he at that time, uh, would be in, in your town or in your settlement. So it's called a Sunammite household. Now, we don't have maybe that same kind of tradition, but many people have guest rooms in their houses. What's a guest room for? It's a room that you set aside to welcome somebody into your home. If you grew up in a household like I did, you had the bedroom that became the guest room when the guests came, and you had to leave your room and go, you know, sleep out in the cold on the sidewalk because my parents were rotten to me. Um, so, uh, if you haven't figured out, dad's here today. All right, so. Um, uh, no, yeah, that's evident, isn't it? Uh, but, but the idea was, you know, to, to meet a need, to provide. Well, that's our call in Christ. Not in one specific way, but that's the example of the, the Shunammite woman. She saw a need. She saw a place of tension. Provision and lack of provision can cause tension. Many of you know what that feels like. And she stepped into that need, and in doing so provides an example for us of part of our call in Christ. Last week it was that we need to learn how to see with fresh eyes, specifically related to the tension that people feel when they come into our fellowship, if, if they come into our place of worship, and, and I said to you, the longer that you've been in church, the less you see this, the less I see it, because we're comfortable here. But not everybody is, and that can be a very tense and uneasy situation. So God calls us to see with fresh eyes through the eyes of others. But, but seeing is only half the equation. Because then our challenge is once we see a need, we see an opportunity, we see a gap, how does God call us to step in to fill it? How does God call us to provide hospitality and caring and love in situations in which there are those who are desperately in need of it? like i was when i walked into a room in a chinese airport and that may not be the kind of example we readily think of but in that moment it really mattered to me and amos and simon saw that and they stepped into that place we're called to step into gaps to learn how to extend the hand of christ not just see through the eyes of christ now let me tell you another story from that trip this is now to korea when we got to Korea, the first day of our trip, we we went to the Kwanglim Methodist Church, and they broke us up into groups of five or six people, and so that would be about you know eight groups or so, and they sent us out to to various small groups that were meeting that morning all around the city of Seoul, because this church is enormous in size. As I shared last week, it's eighty thousand members; they're all over the city. Yeah, exactly. Eighty thousand. Grab your mind around that, um, and uh, and so they have small group meetings that meet throughout the city. They don't all come to the church to meet. They meet in homes and businesses. And so we were invited to go to a, a Korean prayer service. And so our group, there was I think six of us. We, we go to this. Uh, we actually weren't too far from the church, but it was in a it was like in a three story business offices. We go to the third floor. They have the tables set up in kind of a horseshoe with everybody sitting around the outside. The, the pastor sits up at the front. And, and our group had about 20, 22 uh, women that, that gathered for, for, for this prayer meeting. And they would gather two or three times a week. And they were getting ready for an evangelistic outreach that the church was doing. So that was the focus of their, their meeting and their preparation. And so we come into this, and, and they knew we were coming, and we we're invited into this. But because of the setup... There's six of us, and we're sitting on one side of the table. And, and I'm almost to the far left. I'm not the furthest um, person, but I'm, I'm pretty far. And there's four other um, classmates that are sitting here, and our translator's down there. And so you've got to understand, we're in a Korean service, and, and my tr- translator's too far away for me to hear anything he's saying, so I have no idea what's going on because I don't speak the language. And Lynette is sitting next to me. And again, stepping into the gaps, who steps in? Sitting right next to Lynette was a woman by the name of Ma Ma um, Kwanzim. I think was her name. I may be getting that wrong um, specifically, but, but she was sitting two people away from me. In fact, let me t- put a picture of her. That's her, Lynette's on the left. That's Ma, M-A, on the, on the right. She spoke English. And she knew we had no idea what we were walking into. So she stepped into the gap. And she began to lean over to us throughout the meeting and would explain to us what was going on. Now, a Korean prayer service, Bible says, you know, we have meetings where we open in prayer and we close in prayer, and somebody prays. This is prayer that is punctuated throughout the meeting, high-energy prayer, and it's prayed in Korean style. Anybody know what Korean style prayer is? Korean style prayer is when everybody prays at the same time Audibly, It's a cacophony of voices that join in together, that just began to passionately pray. And so seven times throughout this, they would sing hymns. They would have a little time for teaching, and they would pray. They would sing hymns, and they would pray. They would sing hymns, and they would pray. I mean, passionate about prayer. And all these voices that would join in. But we're sitting there trying to make sense of it all. So Ma sees this, and she starts leaning into Lynette and I and talking to us. And then she puts this book in front of us. She puts it right in front of me. Boom. Right here. Now, you can't read this because it's too far away, but maybe this makes a little more you can see this a little better. It's a hymn book. It's a Bible and a hymn book. And it has the words in Korean at the top and the words in English at the bottom. And she puts that in front of us so we can sing along in English. The hymn there, I know you can't, is I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice. These were hymns we knew. And she wanted us to be able to participate. She wanted to remove the discomfort from a group of English speaking students, largely, who had no idea what was going on. And so she would lean in, and when we had the scripture reading, she would open to this is Mark chapter 2, which her Bible was Korean and English, so we could follow along in our own language. And when we'd pray, every time they would break in a prayer, they'd pray for specific things. They'd pray for the sick. And so one time, the seven or eight minutes, when when they were in the Korean-style prayer, they were praying for the sick. Another time, they were praying for for people that were wanting to find a life, uh, uh, to get married. And they'd pray for One time, they were praying for the unification of their country, North and South Korea. That's a a very important thing to many in Korea. So, So they were focused prayers. And she would talk to us and let us know what was going on. She stepped into the gap. For us. She became a host and a, a and a, a bridge for us. And and that was a blessing. Now it was easy to tell who the outsiders were in that prayer group. I mean, we stood out. It's not so easy to tell all the time. I understand it's much, much trickier sometimes to know who those folks are. But when our prayer becomes, Lord, help us to see. Help us to see, then the next prayer needs to be, Lord. Show us what to do. The Shunammite woman recognized Elisha was a man of God. But you know what we know? That every person we lock eyes with is a child of God. Every person is imprinted with the fingerprint of God. So they all have that same value, as did Elisha. We learn to see what we need to open our hands to do. That needs to be our prayer, that prayer. That was my challenge, Lord. How do I now go back and become like Ma, willing to step into the gaps to do and to be? I can't express to you the difference Amos and Simon made for me. As insignificant as it sounds, it mattered. The difference Ma made for us, it mattered. God calls us to make a difference, and he gives us the opportunity to do it. Our prayer, Lord, Give us eyes to see and open our hands to be who you've called us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you use us. First first of all, thank you that you meet us where we are and that you've put people into our lives that, that have served as, who have stepped into the gaps and who have been the bridge for us in places of tension and uncertainty. Now, Lord, help us to see those opportunities you give us to to do the same for others and help us to be intentional about taking action, extending the hand of love to being difference makers and to receiving your blessings with gratitude and sharing your blessings with love. That is our prayer, and we pray it in Christ's holy name.